Thanks, Steve, for reading God's Word to us this morning. Please keep that uh, part of your Bibles open as we uh, go through it together. I just want to let you all know as well that uh, there won't be a question time again today, uh, but there will be a few minutes of reflection after the sermon. And you can always uh, ask me any questions you have after the service uh, or during the week as well. Well, the passage that uh, was read to us by Steve really continues on with many of the ideas that Paul has brought up already earlier in this letter to the Galatian churches. And so in last week's sermon, I asked you to consider the question, what would you do, how would you respond if a new Christian asked you, what do I do now? Or how do I live now that I am a Christian? And I hope you've had a chance to consider and possibly discuss this with others, this question during the week. And if you have considered this question throughout the week, you may have realized that this is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. It is a question of endurance as Christians through life. Paul actually asks his own question to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7, Paul asks them this. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, this is Paul's great concern for these Christians in Galatia. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Paul puts the same concern to us in this way. Chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul is astonished because they started so well. They were running well. So what happened? Who hindered them from obeying the truth? And I want us to be real about one thing today. If it could have happened so easily to the churches in Galatia, if they could start so well and then be persuaded away from obeying the truth, then it could so easily happen to us here today in 2508. See, some of us may already, from years ago, have been hindered from obeying the truth. Others of us here today may be fighting against this problem right now, while still others may not even realize how close they are to being, as Paul puts it in this passage, severed from Christ. If it could happen to the churches in Galatia, if they could be tempted to accept the false teachers that are so prevalent around them, then it could happen to us here today. I believe that God has spoken through Paul in this, in this letter to me personally, 
and to you and to our whole church. I believe we cannot take lightly the possibility that we could be hindered from obeying the truth that we accepted when we began. And so let's pray. Let's pray that we may be able to hear God's word and have it protect us from those who might try to hinder us and who want us to turn from obeying this truth. So would you please pray with me as we begin? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might protect us from thinking that what we do will make us right with you. We ask you to help us to run the race set before us well and that we might stay true to the words you have provided for us in the Bible. Help us to live by them and to be changed by them. In your name we pray, amen. So you might ask, why do I believe that what has happened to the Galatian churches back then could happen to us here today? Um, And so I want to tell you that I believe it's because as Christians, as we run the race, we um, we can be tempted to collect up all our experiences, the things that make us who we are, and to think that these experiences are an essential part of the Christian faith. Our experiences are what we believe make us a Christian. And when this happens, we just open up the door for false teaching. We make it really easy for somebody outside, some persuasive person, to prevent us from understanding the truth. Let's see how in this passage it has happened for the Christians in Galatia, and then how Paul encourages them to stand firm in their faith, the faith that they have had from the very beginning. And so starting in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says to the Galatians, he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. In the next few verses, Paul explains how uh, the Galatians are to imitate him because he is imitating their previous actions. See, when he came to them to preach the gospel, they welcomed him in when he was sick. And Paul says to them, remember how you treated me and you cared for me, you looked after me. You would have even gouged out your eye and given it to me if that was possible. You would have done anything for me, but you're no longer doing that. Instead, Paul says, they're actually treating him like their enemy. And they have turned on each other as well. They are concerned of being made much of rather than loving each other. Paul says that they are devouring each other all because they are being persuaded of a gospel that is not a gospel at all. And in doing so, they have turned against Paul and against each other. They stopped loving and they started serving themselves. 
And so Paul says to them in verse 13 that he is again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In other words, he wants them to be aware of what they are doing and how devastating it is for him, but not only for him, for themselves as well. And so Paul pleads with them. He says, I am personally in pain. And he wishes he could be there to care for them, to encourage them, to rebuke them, and to share his burden with them. They were running so well. But now they are being hindered from obeying the truth. And so where did they get it wrong? Read verse 21 with me. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Paul here uses scripture to prove the point that it was never God's design for us to live under the law, but rather under promise. And this is what we discussed last week. And now in this passage, he goes further with his Old Testament scripture and how he uses it. He goes further by using a pattern of pairs found throughout the Old Testament. But this pattern of pairs, what he's doing is he's kind of asking us to play the game memory. Old Testament memory. You guys know this game. It's a card game, memory. It's a kid's game where you, uh, all the cards are laid upside down and you have to flip a card over and you've got to find the matching pair. Well, that's what Paul's asking us to, to do with the Old Testament. But in this case, it's not a memory game of pairs that are similar, but it's a memory game of pairs that are opposite. It's a pattern of opposite pairs that Paul is pointing out throughout the Old Testament. There are two women. There's one slave and one free. There are two sons, one according to the flesh, which is Ishmael, and another born according to the promise, which is Isaac. There are two cities. There's this present Jerusalem, and there's the new Jerusalem above. And see, Paul uses this pattern to make the point that we are either like Isaac, children of promise, or we are like Ishmael, children under the law, born according to the flesh. And notice with me the conclusion that Paul makes as we compare the pair. Read with me, uh, starting from verse 29, what he says. Paul says, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. See, there's a pattern found throughout the Old Testament of those born of the flesh persecuting those born according to the spirit. And he says, so also it is now. There is persecution 
by those who do not believe towards those who do believe. Those who come and want to distort the gospel, these false prophets persecute those who stand firm and believe that God's gift of grace is sufficient through what Jesus has done on the cross. Paul explains his own persecution that he has faced because he was not willing to preach circumcision, and he explains this in chapter 5, verse 11. He says in verse 11 of chapter 5, but if I was the but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And so we too, we may find that we are persecuted for standing firm in this gospel, which is precisely why Paul urges us to keep standing firm, which is exactly what he does in chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For the Galatians, they had been set free. Free from the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. They were, um, they were Gentiles. And they were free. But to accept circumcision was to submit and to come under the Jewish law, a law that they were not previously under. And so they were submitting again to a yoke of slavery. But this is a different yoke of slavery. They were becoming slave once again. And so let's continue to read from verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision you will, that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Paul becomes furious towards those who have told the Christians in Galatia that circumcision was what was needed for them to continue along in their Christian life. And he actually tells these people to go emasculate themselves. And if you don't know what this means and why Paul says to them to do this, you may like to ask somebody after the service. Now, why is keeping circumcision then such a bad thing? Paul explains that if you keep and accept circumcision, then you're obliged, you're obligated to keep the entire law. You are severed from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. So Paul wants these Christians to know that turning back to the law and away from freedom is a form of spiritual decapitation. They were cutting themselves off from Christ. And so Paul is furious. He's furious with the false teachers because they say to these Gentiles that they must be circumcised. And what they're actually saying is that the sacrifice of Christ 
is inadequate. It's insufficient to just believe in the sacrifice of Christ. It is not reliable and that more is needed. Circumcision is needed. And if this is the case, then they are saying that the free gift of God's grace is actually not free at all. And when you believe that God's gift of grace is no longer free, then you are falling away from grace. Now, I don't know, actually know where I heard this from, first of all, but there's a number of theologians who say that in Christian faith, when it comes to gospel maths, addition is subtraction. That's right, addition is subtraction in gospel maths. Now I can already hear my son Atticus look at me and go, Dad, that makes absolutely no sense. How can addition be subtraction? So let me explain what is meant by this. If you add anything to the gospel, you're actually subtracting from the gospel. If you add anything to the work that was done for you by Jesus on the cross, you're actually taking away from the sufficiency of his work. If we add any part of the law or anything that we do to the free gift of grace, then we're actually taking away from the free gift of grace. Addition is subtraction. Because when we humans think that we can add something that we need to do to the work of Jesus and his death on the cross, we are saying that his death was insufficient to save us. And I hope you can see that this is a major problem. It's a major problem for the Galatians themselves who were being convinced that circumcision was needed in order for them to be accepted by God into his family. And for us, we must never forget this as well, that God's solution to our human condition, his solution about sending his son is all that was needed. God's solution, the sacrifice of his own son for our salvation is completely sufficient. Let me put it uh, this way for us. It only takes one thing that is done for the purpose of self-justification to nullify the sufficient work of Christ. See, if you look back on your life and you see anything that you have done and you'd say to yourself, I did that good thing, so I have done what is needed in order to be right with God. And friends, it only takes one thing. It only takes one thing. But that little thing, if it is done so that you can feel justified by what you have done, then that one thing nullifies all the advantages of Christ and his death on that cross. And it puts you back into slavery. When Ella and I went to New York uh, on one of the trips Ella did for work, uh, we were in New York for about a week and we had the opportunity to go to Cindy her house, one of the ladies who was there working as well that we got to, to know, we, we had dinner with Cindy. And, uh, 
Ella and I shared during this dinner that uh, we wanted to attend a church in New York while we were there on Sunday, and Cindy looked at us a bit confused. And she said to us, but you're not Christians. And we were a bit taken back by this. And so we replied to her, see, we said, ah, yes, we are Christians. And she said, no, you're not one of those born-again Christians. And uh, we kind of went, ah, yes, we are one of those born-again Christians. And she said, no, 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 you're not one of those church-going radical Christians. To which we kind of looked at each other and said, yes, we are one of those church-going radical Christians. And it didn't matter how many times we said this, she wouldn't believe us. Right? And we thought, why is that? I mean, how, it's kind of like, come on, we are, we are, just believe us. And then she finally, finally we asked her, why don't you believe us? Why don't you think that we are Christians? What makes you convinced that we're not Christians? I mean, we're kind of worried about, like, what's going on here, people? They, she doesn't even know we're a Christian and doesn't believe us. And finally she said, you're not one of those radical Christians because Ella wears pants. <laughs> we're not one of those Christians because Ella wears pants? I mean, in her mind, because of what she knew, her experiences of Christians in America, radical Christians, Christians that go to church on a Sunday, only wore skirts and dresses, not pants. To her, because of the fact that Ella wore pants, we actually weren't living up to the standard that she had believed was required if you were going to call yourself a Christian. In a way, for her, we were actually being hypocritical. How can you say that you're a Christian when you don't look like one? And for Cindy, there was this whole code of behavior required to be a Christian. And Cindy's theology is actually not far from what Paul is warning the Galatian Christians about in this letter. The false teachers are saying to the Christians in Galatia, you must look a particular way. You must have the mark of circumcision to be truly part of God's family. But there's this entire code of conduct, a code of behavior behind the mark of circumcision. And friends, you don't have to be a Christian and be around churches for long here today to see this attitude around us. We too can go along with this idea and develop the belief that if we're going to make it in the end, if we're going to run the race well, there is something more that is needed. There's a code of conduct, there's a code of behaviors that we have to achieve rather than just trusting that Jesus was, his sacrifice was enough. So what does Paul here urge the, Gal urge the Galatians to do? And uh, for us to do, for that matter. Uh, let's look at chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul talks about hope. This hope here that Paul mentions in verse 5 is not a hope that one day this will actually happen, that we might get it, but it is a sure thing for Paul. It is the assurance that we are declared right with God on that final day. And we know it's a sure thing because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so we are to live by faith because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul's point has actually been consistent all the way through this entire letter. You started by trusting Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit in your life, and this is how you continue. So if you turn back to chapter 3, verse 2 really quickly, you will see Paul put it this way. Chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you, so, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Certainly not. We began by, re- by receiving the Spirit by hearing with faith. And now, in chapter 5, verse 5, we continue through the Spirit by faith, and we now we eagerly wait, we confidently wait until the declaration on that final day that we are declared right with God. This is how we run the race. The way we began in the Christian life is the way we go on in the Christian life. The way we started is the way we continue. We run the race through the Spirit by faith. And when we accept this, this is freeing for us. See, faith has replaced circumcision as the sign for God's spiritual family. The way that the circumcised Jews and the uncircumcised Gentiles get marked as belonging to God is no longer through circumcision, but by faith in Christ alone. And our faith has a face. Our faith can actually be seen. The face of Christian faith is Christian love. By faith, we express love to those around us. Read with me from verse 13. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, Paul's warning here at the end of this section is a result of living by the flesh. And he's begun to see this happening with them already. They were running well, but they have been hindered. And for all of us, 
Honestly, it is hard to run the race and to run the race well. See, it's very attractive to see that we are running the race in a particular way in order to have a guarantee that we will make it. And so we must continue to not only remind ourselves, but to encourage others as well with the truth that God's solution to the human condition is really sufficient. God's solution, not the law, or anything else for that matter, is needed. It is grace alone. God's solution is that we begin by the Holy Spirit and we continue on with the Spirit. We receive the Spirit by faith through grace. We keep going with the Spirit and we don't add anything external to what God has done in us. And so, brothers and sisters, stand firm and run the race well through the Spirit by faith. Eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Rather, through love, serve one another. And do it all the more as the day of our Lord and Savior draws near. And on that day, be confident that we will stand before our Heavenly Father and he will say to us, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, what he says to us on that day will not be on account of anything that we have done to get us there, but because of his grace and its sufficiency. There should be nothing more dear or precious to us in all the world, to the two true Christian of God, to the children of God, than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of how we are saved by grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to work through your spirit in us so that we can accept the freedom that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in his work alone, and please guard us from adding anything to it as we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a few minutes just to sit quietly and reflect on uh, this passage. Uh, you might like to jot a few notes down or a question you might have. Uh, in, and in a few minutes, the band will get up and sing our final song.